Have you ever felt just like you had no options, like zero options? Well, we can all kind of relate to that. I've been in that season of life uh, multiple times. Actually, there was like a season where I just felt like, you know, every other week there was like another roadblock where I don't see a way out, right? I'm drowning. I've hit this wall. Um, And one of those, one of the most profound for me where I really began to realize what my addiction was taking away from me. And, and I know some of you have been in this exact position, um, but I was walking up to a, the motel room across the street here, Crystal Palace, I mean, Claremore Motor Inn. Um, and, uh, and I was homeless. I, I had no place to go. I'd burned bridges with family, right? Um, nobody really wanted me around. I'd kind of left myself in this position where I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had my two-year-old son with me. And, and I remember going up to the, the second floor there and, and just thinking, I, I see no path forward. I don't know what I'm going to do. And as my son thought it was the coolest thing to be um, in the motel, um, I just wanted to cry, right? I felt like such a failure as a father. I felt just like such a failure as a man. And it was, it was a hard place to be. And, and I, I found that to be certain aspects of my relationship. Um, the second year of, of my marriage, Janelle, we had a good marriage, but we would hit those places where um, how are we going to get past this? right? This, this aspect of our relationship seems to just be repeating, right? We do good, but we come back to this and we come back to this and it, it feels never ending and, and it begins to feel hopeless, right? And, and you, you can, you know, you can go so long without food, you can go so long without water, but when, when you feel that there's no hope, when you feel like you have no options, there's no life left to give, right? We, we, we can't move forward. And it's such a terrible place to be, but it's a place that many of us find ourselves. Um, tonight, uh, we are officially ending the, the Unchained series. This is the last one. And, and we're talking about being unchained from hopelessness uh, because we, we live in a world where we are fed so much negativity, right? If it bleeds, it leads. And so every time we scroll on Facebook or Instagram, we see horrific story after horrific story, tragedy after tragedy. Recently, um, you know, just a brutality just down the road from us. And it seems like you just can't, you can't escape these things. And every time we read this, it feels like a little bit of the hope that we have is is taken from us. And, And it's little by little, uh, we feel like, again, we, we have no options. And so we want to talk about breaking, breaking that, that bondage, um, breaking that cycle. And we want to talk about gaining hope, right? Um, having that expectation. And so hope, uh, most people understand hope as wishful thinking, right? As in, I hope this will happen. I hope something will take place. And, and that's kind of what most of us live with, is um, it would be great. And unfortunately, that type of mindset has carried over into our faith, right? It's, uh, man, I hope, hope, uh, hope Jesus really uh, comes through on this one. And it, it's kind of like this mindset of, man, it'd be great if that happened, but I know, I know it's not. But, you know, God shows up. Be, that'd be cool. Be a whole lot cooler if he did, right? Some of you got the reference. You're my people. (laughs) But that's not what hope is. So biblically, biblically, the biblical definition of hope is this, confident, say confident. Confident expectation. Well, that's not at all the type of hope I was taught to have. Confident expectation. 
It's like a knowing, a trusting. And this is hard because of the way that we treat God. He's our genie, right? And so we pray for a new truck, hope that we'll receive it. Um, don't really want to get a job, um, can't buy it on food stamps, but man, I really hope God comes through with that F-150. Um, that was way funnier than you guys thought it was. Um, <clears throat> that, that's worldly hope though, right? Um, but biblical hope, that confident expectation is like, man, I want to be free of my addiction. And I know that as I lean into God, he, he's going to take care of that. And we can have that confidence because we know that it lines up with God's will, right? God's will is for us to be free, not to be in bondage. And, and as we seek things that are of God's will, when we, you know, when we lean into God the way that we're, we're called to, and, and we, we don't treat him like a genie, and we treat him as if he's God, if he's Lord of all, and our prayers line up with that, then we can have hope in him because everything lines up and, and God's faithful to his word and he'll see us through, he's overcome the world. So I know that on these things, I can have a confident hope, an expectation, expectation of him seeing it through, of him revealing himself. Hope is a firm assurance regarding things that are unclear and unknown, unclear and unknown. I know this, I have, I have hope in Jesus that, that my marriage will be good because I know this, my, my wife leans into the Lord, I lean into the Lord. If we remain in God's will, that I have this assurance, right? This expectation that even though the future's unclear, and one of us could get sick, financial ruin, all of these things could take place, but, but I know that, that God will see us through in that. That's, that's a hope, not a worldly hope, but a hope in the things of God. I know this, that when I leave this place, that my life will not end, that I have the hope and the expectation of being with the Lord in heaven, right? It's unknown, it's unclear. I don't know, I don't know how the things are gonna work out there. Like, I don't know the details, but I know this, that God is faithful, right? That's a hope and an expectation. So again, hope, firm assurance regarding things that are unclear and unknown. Hope comes from the promises of God rooted rooted in the work of Christ. That we can have a hope in what he'll do because we've seen how faithful he is in the past, right? That, that I know this, I, I can stand up here boldly saying that, that God can deal with your addiction in a supernatural way because he's done that for me, right? It's, it's rooted in the work of Christ. I've experienced it. And I know it's not just for me, right? I, I've seen God work miracles in relationships, my own included. And because of that, I can stand up here knowing that because this is rooted in the work of Christ, that I have hope that he'll do the same for you. So again, hope is this assurance, this expectation, and it comes from the promises of God rooted in the work of Christ. So tonight, uh, I'm going to be teaching exclusively from John 5, verses 1 to 15. Um, so John is one of our, our gospel passages. It's in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the last of um, our gospels. The gospels tell about the life and the ministry of, of Jesus as he was here among the believers on earth. So it goes birth about to year 33 where he was crucified. Um, and so... This particular miracle, it's one of my favorite stories. I've, I've taught on it in the past. It's been a while, but it's such a powerful story. And I want to unpack some things in it. So as I get started, I'm going to read through the entire 
15 verses. You guys can bear with me. We are in church, maybe recovery, but it's church service, right? We can, we can handle a little bit. And then I want to go back and I want to point some things out. So John, uh, John 5 verses 1 um, through 5, it says this, afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Say 38 years. For 38 years. And so I want to paint a picture here. Here you have a group of people. They are the lowest of the low. Their society doesn't have a welfare class like we have today, right? They, they don't get help from the government. That if you don't have people to care for you, you're sick and lame, you die, right? They're, the government's not coming to help you. And this is before Christians, so there's no church outreach ministry or those types of things going on. And, and so in cases like this, it was dark. It was dire. And so here we have this area where people believed that they would receive healing from this pool. If you're reading along with me, you might have noticed that it skipped over verse 4. Um, some of these passages have a verse 4 that talks about potentially this angel coming to stir it up. But it was a, a pagan idea that, that if, if they sat there long enough and the water stirred that the first one into the pool would somehow be healed of their infirmity. So you would have all of these people desperate and hopeless waiting here day after day, month after month, year after year, waiting to be healed, waiting to have some grasp of hope that their circumstances might be changed. And notice, you have people here that are blind, lame, paralyzed. I imagine the stink was unbearable. The water dirty, the, the surrounding area dirtied as people would defecate themselves. I mean, they can't go anywhere. There's no public restrooms. Misery upon misery. Worse than any trap house you've been in. Worse than any back alley you've been in. Darker than the darkest corner you can imagine. And they sit there waiting for an encounter with a deity that didn't exist. Lying there, one of them had been sick for 38 years. 38 years. I can't even imagine I can't even imagine. I went through my own addiction for 18, 18 horrific years, horrible years. And this man more than doubled my time of hopelessness, paralyzed, no options, completely dependent on the people around him. And it says, when Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crown. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, 
Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. And I love that story. And, and even though I know it, it's not about addiction and it's about a, a very real um, affirmity and illness this man have, I can't hear, I can't help but, but see just the way it, it correlates to our society now that, that as he laid by this pool, right, this, this creation of man, people had dug this out, right? They had created it. And then they created the idea that somehow, some way, in these waters, they might have hope. They might have freedom. They might have an escape. I can't tell you how many times that I had the same thought at the end of a dope pipe, <laughs> grasping to a bottle, looking at pornography, lusting after women, buying into lie after lie, that somehow there was hope for me in it, that it might make me happy, that it might allow me to be free, <laughs> that it might heal me <laughs> of every bit of brokenness inside. And for me, for 18 years, I lay by my own imaginary pool, looking, waiting, hoping in a hopeless situation. We seek, we seek relief. We seek freedom. We seek healing in all the wrong places. We live in a world that is broken, a world where, where man has turned their backs on God and we've turned ourselves to his creation. And we look for freedom. We look for healing. We look for relief and things that are of our own design, completely void of what he has for us. We constantly put our hope in what we believe we can control. Why hope in a God? I can't control that. I have no say, right? What if he tells me to do something I don't want to do? What if it's hard? What if I don't like it? What if I don't want to? And we put our hope in all of those things that are not of God because we want to hold on to that control. We want to hold on to that pride. We think that we know better. True hope comes from the promises of God, again, rooted in the work of Christ. This kind of hope, is necessary, necessary if we want to find freedom, if we want healing in our relationships, if we want to pursue righteous living. So I want us to do this. I want us to look at a few truths that we can extract from this encounter. Um, because I'm not going to be here next week, we've got six points, you know, just to, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but starting in verse five, John five, uh, verses five through six, it says this, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. For 38 years. And so again, I just, that burdens me. For 38 years, thinking that nobody cared, that nobody saw him, that nobody would help him. And then it says this, when Jesus saw him. And you know, when, when we read through God's word, things are there intentionally, right? It's not by accident. That even though it was written by man, it's inspired by his Holy Spirit. That's God's word, God ordained. And it says, when he saw him and knew, say knew, and knew he had been ill for a long time. Now, Jesus had an awareness. Jesus wasn't indifferent to the past 38 years. The time 
was not lost on him and knew he had been ill a long time. He asked him, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? What an odd thing to ask a man that had been laying next to this pool for almost four decades. Would you like to get well? You know, in the ministry that I, I do now, you know, this, what I spend my time in, I, I've never understood this passage of scripture more than I do now. Because what happens is we get trapped so long in our brokenness, our addiction, our misery, whatever lie we've bought into, whatever it may be, that eventually we see no other path, that we can't look past it any longer. For me, the thought of sobriety towards the end just seemed unrealistic anyways. Why bother? Why try? Sometimes we get stuck in such bad relationships. Our marriage becomes so broken, why why bother? Why put effort into this any longer? And, And so Jesus approaches them and says, would you like to get well? Would you like to change your circumstance? Would you like things to be different? And point number one is this. We need to trust that God sees you. Trust that God sees you. Don't allow yourself to be hopeless. Don't allow yourself to buy into the lie that that maybe you've spent five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is in your set of circumstances where you think nobody sees you, nobody cares, no. That God sees you. God's not indifferent. And when we begin to trust that God sees us, again, he knew. When he knew he'd been ill a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Are you tired of this? God may be asking you right now. You may be in that place where you're starting to think this is all there'll ever be. This is all there is for me. And God's saying right now, are you ready? I've sat across the table from from many people and asked them that same question. Do you want to change your life? I'm asking you now, are you sick and tired of laying by the pool? Are you ready to set down the lies? Are you ready to set down the addiction? Are you ready to be healed? And if we want to operate in hope, we have to know that God sees us. You've got to trust. He's asking you the same question right now. You're presented with the same opportunity tonight. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? The man's response in verse 7, I can't. And we talked about that last week. I can't, sir. The sick man said, again, man, if any word has ever pissed me off more than that, I don't know what it is. This man has an encounter face to face with the living God. And Jesus asks him, are you ready? Are you ready for healing? Are you ready for deliverance? Are you ready for freedom? I can't. And as stupid as that sounds, again, the same thing's being asked of you tonight. I mean, if we trust that God is among us, and I do, if we trust that his Holy Spirit is present tonight, and I do, 
then we should trust that he wants the same for us. No matter what lie, no matter what stronghold. And is this gonna be your response? I can't. I can't be healed by you, God. Because, because I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Whiny excuses. I can't. Somebody, somebody else always gets there first. Point number two is this. We need to stop looking to creation for what only the creator can do. He was so focused on God's creation that he missed the living, breathing word of God right in front of him. He was so convinced that his only hope was of the world that he missed the one that breathed the world into existence. And I had the same bullcrap response for so long. I, I heard God speaking to me way before I got free. And it was this, I can't, I'm not strong enough. I don't have the tools. God, you don't know my story. You don't know where I come from. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my circumstances, my lifestyle. God, I can't, you don't know. My only hope in any resemblance of normal life requires that I self-medicate, that I buy into this lie. I can't. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. First Peter 1 verse 13 says this, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. I know both of those things have already wore some of you out. Like I gotta do work and I have to have self-control. Put all your hope, put all your hope, put all your hope in people, put all your hope in yourself, your own abilities, put all your hope in what? Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Again, we need to stop looking to creation for what only the creator can provide. You will not find what you're looking for at the bottom of any bottle, inside any needle, inside any pipe, inside any relationship, any person, any set of circumstances. It's not there. If you're looking for living things among the dead, put all your hope in the creator. Put all your hope in your salvation, put all your hope in Jesus Christ. Again, stop looking to creation for what only the creator can do. Continuing, John 5, verse eight, Jesus completely blew past this man's ignorance. And I can't help but to thank God for that because if Jesus listened to me, I would still be a drunk and a drug addict. But luckily, 
He knew how dense I was. And he kept hitting me over the head with truth. He blows past this man's ignorance, showing the fullness of God's grace, right? And his mercy. And he says, stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. <laughs> Love that. The man says, I can't. <laughs> and Jesus says, I can. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. I can't. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly. Say instantly. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And, and I'd want to point out, not everything is instantaneous. I pursued Christ for years before I caught up personally with what he did in the beginning. I didn't stand right up. Could have. I fully believe he gave me the ability from day one, but I'm a slow learner. I crawled around for a little while. Eventually started walking with a cane. I'm somewhere between walker right now and, and cane. I'm, I'm getting there. But he says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And point number three is this. Sometimes our miracle is on the other side of obedience. Maybe you're too dense. Maybe you're too disobedient to experience the fullness of what God has for you. And this man could have laid there healed. Imagine that. Jesus said, do you want to get well? He said, I can't. God said, stand up and walk because he'd been healed. What if the man is just like, I can't, idiot. Like, don't you know? I've been here for 38 years. I can't quit drinking. I can't get sober. I'll never have a healthy marriage. I can't, Jesus. What I've been telling you, aren't you listening? How many of us already received what God gave us, already have received that hope? He's already done his part. And we're still sitting there arguing with him, saying, I can't, and it's done. Instantly, this man operated in obedience. That's the difference. He didn't hesitate. He removed his head from his rear end. He stood up and he walked. And he walked. Again, Sometimes our miracle is on the other side of obedience. We don't have to live hopeless lives. Jesus is our hope. We don't have to be stuck next to that dirty, stinking pool forever. God has showed up. God is present. God has moved. Drop the I can't and recognize that Jesus can. Again, point number three. Sometimes our miracle is on the other side of obedience. John 5.10 says this, but, say but, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. How stupid is that? This man had been laying next to a pool for 38 years, and the thing that they're worried about is that this guy is carrying a mat on the Sabbath. How many people 
Look at the things that you're doing today. You've left that life behind. They don't know that you were dead, but you're alive now. And you're trying to do something for the kingdom. You're trying to do something great. And they're saying, you can't walk. You can't walk. Don't you know your place? Don't you know you're supposed to be stuck back there? This isn't for you. This isn't the time. This isn't the place. What an ignorant response to the move of God. You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Point number four is this. Anticipate the world to give you pushback. When we find our hope in Christ, when he starts moving, people are going to tell you it's a fairy tale. People are going to tell you it's not real. People are going to tell you God can't do that. God didn't do that. You're not changed. You're the same person that you always were. I'm going to share a story. I'm going to throw my sister under the bus. I told her. I've told it before. Some of you haven't heard it, but I got her permission this time. Even though I've told it multiple times, this is the first time I've asked her. And she's like, why are you asking me now? You've never asked me before. I don't know. I just felt convicted to this time. Um, (laughs) So... Like I said, I, I spent almost two decades as just a, a dirt bag, just self-indulgence after self-indulgence, whether it was substances or women or money, anything, right? All the things of the flesh. And, and that's how I lived. And then I had an encounter with God. And, and like I said, it, in the end, it, it was fast. It took a long time for like me to like catch up with what God had done. And then it was just, it was like this. It was like a switch in a lot of ways. And uh, my poor sister, it caught her off guard, right? Um, and I remember showing up one day and it was like, hey, guess what? I'm called the ministry. And, she, and you know, in her mind, she's like, you were like hoeing around getting drunk like last week. Like, I don't think you know how this works, but you know, that's not really the life of a pastor. And you know, you can't really help people if you can't help yourself. And you know, and she, she meant well, right? I mean, because like, hey, you don't want to damage the church. You don't, you don't want to do this. And, and I could have listened in that moment. You're right. What was I thinking? God didn't change me. But I knew inside. All right, it was here. And it was here. And, and even though I hadn't walked it out, like I had that, that, that firm foundation, that confident hope, I knew, I knew that it had already been dealt with in that moment. Eyes open to the truth. And I can't remember what the response was. It was probably, hey, you can go to you know, something. I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't godly. Um, <laughs> I'm still growing in that too. Um, but I was just like, no, this, this is it. Like, I know. And, and I'm sitting here like, I'm gonna shut my business down. I'm gonna do this and... All of these crazy things, it probably, I probably sounded like a crazy person. I really did, but, but I just knew. And I remember talking to my dad, and I thought my dad would be excited. Again, I've been an addict for so long. I mean, everybody's like, hey, stop being a drug addict and stop being an alcoholic and be a better dad. And then I'm like, hey, guess what? I'm going to stop being a drug addict. I'm going to stop being an alcoholic. I'm going to be a better dad, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve God. And then my family's like, no, you're not. I'm like, I don't know what you guys want me to do here. So I called my dad. This is what I'm going to do. Well, you ain't going to make any money. Like, I don't, I can't please you people. So I trusted God and I moved forward and I ignored, 
I ignore it. I've, I've got uh, somebody in my family still. I won't we'll say they are. We're, we're seven years in, and this person still thinks I'm lying. <laughs> like, like, I guess one day, one day, one day you'll see it's for real. I don't know when, but, but just expect it. There's people that don't want you to change. I think one of the biggest reasons, and this is not the reason my sister thought, my, my sister just really just want, didn't want me to damage myself more. Her reasons were noble, but, but some people don't want you to change because if you change, it, it reveals that, that they could too, that they should too, right? Some of the people in your circle, like if you do better, what's it make them look like? It's hard, right? It, it, it's any number of things, but know this, the world will give you pushback. But I love his reply in verse 11. It says, but he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. He said, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. He, the one who moved in my life, he said, walk, I'm walking. He tells me to carry my mat, I'm carrying my mat, right? <clears throat> the world didn't save you. Don't allow them to have influence and impact you today. Jesus moved, right? Jesus healed. Jesus rescued. Jesus set you free. Make his voice the loudest. And if he tells you to do something in spite of what everyone else is saying, pay it no mind. Pick up your mat and walk. I want us to do this right now. Um, I, want us to, I want us to bow our head. I want us to close our eyes. And I want you to begin to think about lies that you may have bought into. Again, if, if we trust that God showed up, right? Trust that he's asking you, do you want to get well right now? And so I want you to think about whatever comes to mind. Maybe it's, it's lust. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's just some type of lie. But just imagine Jesus speaking to you. You're laying by that pool. He's saying, do you want to get well? What's your response tonight? What are you going to tell him? Is it, I can't? Or are you going to stand up and walk? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for every individual that's here. Lord, and I know this, that that none of them are, are present here by accident, Lord, that it's by your design. Father, that you've orchestrated conversations and moments and encounters that, that's brought them here. And I pray that, that right now, Lord, that this opportunity would not be lost on them. Lord, as, as you ask each of us, are you ready? Do you wanna get well? I pray that, that every heart and, and every mind in this room would be settled on yes tonight. Lord, they, they know their struggles. You know their struggles. Lord, I pray that, that they would respond this evening. I'm ready. I'm yours. And I thank you, God, for moving in our lives. God, I thank you for moving in the service. And I thank you that the work that you begin tonight won't end as we walk out these doors, Lord but you'll carry it to completion 
to the day that, that Jesus comes back. And we thank you for this. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, so our action steps tonight, this. Identify areas of your life you've misplaced hope. Maybe you've, you've given in to an addiction where you have allowed the creation to overcome the creator. And then number two, surrender those areas to Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, man, pastor, and that sounds awfully easy. Heck yeah, it is. Like God didn't show up with something complex. Any area of our lives we struggle is probably an area of our life that we're not allowing Jesus to move. And so tonight, um, everything we've talked about, all of this, it begins and it ends with a relationship with Christ. And so if you're in here tonight and you haven't fully surrendered to him, that's where we start. And so here in just a moment, we're gonna have some people at the front, some chip prayers and huggers, and they, they would love the opportunity to join you in prayer so you can make the greatest decision you'll ever make. And that's the decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. That's where we recognize first that we can't save ourselves, that, that we need him. We recognize that he is the son of God, that he died for us so that we could be saved and forgiven. And then lastly, where we do, we make him Lord. That, that denotes authority. Lordship. The result of lordship is salvation. I heard that a few days ago and it just stuck out to me that, that we make him Lord. And then number two, maybe you're in here and you're, you're ready to recommit. Like you, you were there once, right? You were submitted and you messed up. You blew it off. You went back to the old life. If that's you, our same opportunities given to you that if you'll come down front here in just a moment. We would love to pray with you and for you so you can recommit tonight. And then maybe maybe you just are ready to set something down that God spoke to you and it's that right there. He's saying, are you ready to get well, but you've held on to it? And he's saying, I, I, want, I want that area of your life. I want to speak to that. So if there's something tonight that you want to let go of, we want to encourage you to come pick up one of our white chips. There's nothing special about it. It's a piece of plastic, but there's something significant about when we act out of faith. And so again, I want to encourage you to come down front and pick up one of these chips. And then lastly, maybe you just want to receive prayer. We would love to pray for you. So any of those things to receive Jesus for the first time, to recommit, to pick up a white chip, or just to receive prayer, we want to encourage you to stand up out of your seat and come down front. If everybody would, if you'd stand to your feet as we close in worship.